Well, hey, welcome to Inside Redemption. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm the executive pastor of Redemption Arizona and the lead pastor at Redemption Church Gateway. And this is a podcast where we're trying to just take you inside and behind the scenes of Redemption Church. Uh, our assumption is that those of you listening are folks that just have an interest in redemption. Uh, probably many of you attend one of the redemption congregations. And we're just trying to lift the hood a little bit and uh, let you kind of get to know some people that we think you just would be really excited if you got to know them and uh, talk about some things that you might not know related to Redemption Church. So that's what we're doing. And today I'm here with Josh Prather. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Josh, thanks for uh, coming by the studio. Josh, your official title, uh, as of very recently, we've uh, adjusted your title a little bit, but it's the Pastor of Pioneering. Yes. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about what that means uh, in a minute. But um, first, I want to just kind of spend some time letting people get to know you, and then we'll talk about some of the different ministry things you've uh, gotten into. And I think really pioneering is such a good word to describe the work that you've been doing and the work that you're kind of helping lead us into. So uh, it'll be fun to talk about that. So anyway, yeah, we're glad you're here. Yes, it's great to be here. So Josh, where did you grow up? Grew up in Ohio, so a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, and then moved to Amelia, Ohio, a suburb of Cincinnati. So you're a suburban guy. That oh, would yeah. surprise some people that know you, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Made some transitions in life, but grew up in the suburbs. And, and in Ohio, I, so I've got a lot of family from Ohio. My experience is that a lot of people from Ohio love Ohio. Do you share that feeling? No, I don't. You don't? Okay. <laughs> I, I loved Ohio sports growing up. I still will root for them. So there's the Ohio State love um, that still lingers. Hey, oh, Buckeyes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but no, um, I am happy to be out of Ohio. A lot of sweet memories in Ohio it treated us well, but uh, being out of Ohio has been, been a gift. Okay. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about just your childhood growing up. What was life like there in the suburbs of various cities of Ohio? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is probably sports and uh, these two things kind of mind sports and growing up, growing up in a pastor's home. So uh, sports kind of ruled everything. I think that's most kids in Ohio. You know, you grew up in cornfields, not a whole lot to do. Okay. So you kind of devote yourselves to like traditional sports. So football became my thing. And that was like major thing for me growing up and in high what school. What position? Um, all over the place. Quarterback until I got to varsity and everybody realized I couldn't throw. <laughs> so that, that hindered my quarter. Yeah. yeah that's so you can tough. only take option quarterback so far with zero throwing abilities. Okay. So that moved me to running back and then defensive back linebacker okay yeah football is your main thing or you play other th stuff too yeah track um basketball but football is undoubtedly the main thing that's what i like devoted everything to okay yeah wow. but then some injuries junior year kind of pushed me out of it and then senior year didn't really get involved in much but everything growing growing up to junior year was all football okay yeah so a lot of sports and then uh, did you have siblings brother and a sister okay yeah both older i'm the youngest oh wow the pup Yep, that's Great. right. That's right. And then you said you're you grew up in a pastor's home. Dad's a pastor. Been a pastor my whole life. Small Southern Baptist churches all over the place. So that's what moves moved us around a little bit. So um, he actually is just retiring in a month. So forty three years, I think, of ministry wow. being a lead pastor of Southern Baptist churches. But yeah, no, that's. I mean, any kid that grows up in a pastor's home, that's pretty like formative. So that was very formative for me too, growing up for now, positive and negative. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to say is that when you say formative that, you know, you could put different kinds of things in that. Yeah. A lot of pastors, kids would say, here's some really great stuff, but boy, here's some really tough stuff. What would you say were some of the highs and lows of, of that experience? 
I think just, I mean, the simple high is just the exposure to, to Jesus and the faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like when you're constantly in that environment, it was like a nurturing environment that like Jesus meant a lot to our home, mm-hmm. meant a lot to like my dad's work. So that liturgy of like being at church every Sunday, Wednesday night in the Southern Baptist church and Sunday night often, <laughs> you know, sure. So a lot of time in the church building growing up, you know, so that exposure, which didn't really carry through to high school. I didn't really walk with Jesus in high school or freshman year of college, but that like foundation, mm. you know, eventually was very like, I mean, was what led me back to Jesus. So that was the positive, but then just the stress on a home, mm. you know, I mean, p- being a pastor is a unique experience. I think of like holistic development of humans and then people looking at you holistically, you know, so as a pastor's kid. Yeah. As a pastor's kid, but then also as a pastor, Hmm. you know, so people are like, not just evaluating your work and what you're producing. Everything is under the microscope, you know? So you see that very vividly when you're growing up in a pastor's home. So you get to see some negatives of that and some, you know, challenging aspects of that. Which led me to say, all right, I know one profession I don't think I'm going to ever, <laughs> ever jump into. Oh, that's, that's, it's funny when you tell God stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I know there's one profession I'll probably <laughs> never jump into and that's pastoral ministry. And I was set, set on it. But it sounds like you had, I mean, I feel like one of the blessings that you're describing is seeing a family that actually really believed what they were talking about. Yeah. No, I mean, perseverance is the word that comes to mind. Highs and lows, you know, ups and downs in a family, but there's definitely like a perseverance of trying to, trying to follow, hungering to follow, you know, and still to this day with, I mean, almost my entire family, you know, and we can all trace it back to like those roots. Hmm. When you talk about kind of the, you didn't use the word fishbowl, but that's what a lot of people describe being a pastor's kid like. Yes. Um, What would you, what would you tell people in the church like, Hey, you may not realize that this is what it feels like, but you got to know that this is what it feels like. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's it. I think there's a pressure. You just got to work really hard. Certain people in certain positions, you just got to work really hard to like continue to tell them what they know, but what it's hard to believe. And what's hard to believe is that you're you know, you're not held to a higher standard. You know, you don't need to put all this weight and pressure on yourself. You don't need to be something, you know, and just like understanding the unique, and I won't say greater because all of I saw for Jesus, all vocations matter, but there's a uniqueness to like the pastoral vocation, you know, that is unique challenges. You know, I still try to sometimes figure out how to frame it, but (laughs) unique challenges that families face and kids face in that sort of role. So just understanding that and just taking it into consideration. Hmm. Yeah. But you, you thought, Oh, I I don't want that pressure. I don't want to be under that kind of microscope. I'll never go do that. Please. No, yes, (laughs) no, I did not want that. No, I did not. And then you said you uh, didn't really walk with the Lord in high school and beginning of college. What, uh, what changed? Um, I think it's the simplest way to put it is when you're pursuing a path of, you know, we would say, what do you want to say? Like self-indulgence, idolatry, you know, way of the world, whatever you want to say. So all of that, what I kind of built up is like the framework of like what I want to be, who I want to be, you know, who I want to be with, what I want to become. And once you kind of attain a lot of those things, like you get there and then you look and you're like, I am more depressed Mm. (laughs) and like just struggling more in life than I ever have in my entire life. But I like, I thought I've arrived. Wow. It's like you're the dog that caught the car. Yeah. And then went, oh boy. No. So so that happened uh, freshman year of of college. Where'd you You go to college? University of Cincinnati. Okay. Yeah. Go Bearcats. There you go, man. There you go. So yeah, freshman year of college, you attain what you thought was like 
the golden key or whatever that you're, that you're hungering for. And then when you get there, you're just like an absolute mess. And that drew me, God found me in that space. Hmm. Actually in a, I was in a fraternity in a fraternity, like dorm room type environment and fraternities for the most part are what you would imagine they are. So, you know, that was kind of like the life and who I was a part of and what community I was part of, you know, and God found me there and saved me. How did that happen? Yeah, I don't really remember the exact. I just remember things were going very poorly. I won't go into too much detail, but okay. <laughs> life was going very poorly to where I just was in a super dark place. And once again, mm. like you're pursuing all of these things that you thought were like the keys to your success or your satisfaction. And all of them are just like ugly and dark. And I do have these distinct memories of coming home and reading Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren after going out to the bar and and getting drunk. Mm. And that was like my, (laughs) it was like my start. Like drunk, purpose driven life, reading moments, you know, late at night. But eventually like there was like the severing and I actually, when I just preached, I preached at Redemption Hamburg this past Sunday. And I use this as an example, like God had to just like completely rip me out of that environment you know, pluck me into another environment because I was just so vulnerable and like build me up, you know, from the ground up. Like, yeah, like no idea what life was like following Jesus. Mm. I had a friend, I always share the story just because I think it's funny, is so I'm leaving and I'm planning to go to a Christian college, leaving the University of Cincinnati. And Oh, wow. So like this was that big of an experience. Oh, yeah. No, like I, I remember standing in front of my whole fraternity, like all my friends, my family, I'm like, I, I got to go, like I'm leaving. And, and in your mind, so I want to hear about the Christian college, but yeah, yeah. In, in your mind, was this like, and maybe even now, like, were you coming to Christ or were you coming back to Christ? No, that's a weird no, yeah, yeah, distinction yeah, no, we, to make. We always kind of, I assume you went down the aisle a bunch of times oh, growing up in a Southern Baptist church, <laughs> you just know. burned the carpet up and Ooh, down. You, you know? know, I prayed that prayer yeah, thousands of times. Yes, I did. But looking back, would you go like, were you, were you regenerate yeah, and just uh, not walking with the Lord? Or was that really the time of your new birth? I would say no, there wasn't much fruit. I mean, you know, if we're looking at like, okay, there's gotta be some sense of like fruit in your life. There was zero, what I would call like it, like any fruit for high school and college. So yeah, a lot of, there's seeds. It's kind of hard to tell because those seeds were planted in there, but zero like growth. So that like severing and leaving, going to the Christian college was like the main moment. And then, you know, a friend sitting down with me saying, so you're going to go to school and you can't party. And I was like, no. And he said, you, you can't have girls to stay over anything. I said, no. And he legitimately said, well, what are you going to do? Right. And he was legitimately sure. like, he didn't know. And I looked back at him and said, I have no idea. Cause mm. I did. Cause I yeah. didn't know. That was a new experience. What was, <laughs> I was the, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. What was the Christian college? As Liberty university. Okay. Yeah. So Liberty university. Yeah. Trans, my dad went there and then How transitioned there. in the world did I not know you went to Liberty University? <laughs> well, I try to keep it low key. That's, that's really, like, you don't know. That's funny. It's inside okay. redemption. People are finding out a lot. Yeah. So yeah. because Liberty University now, we won't go. That, we'll, you and Jerry Falwell just strike me as yeah, basically the same person. We're about the same person. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but there, I will say to Liberty University's credit, there was like a foundation of orthodoxy and just like giving me basics of the faith that I needed to grow me. Yeah. Found mentors there, found great friends there, Good. you know. But yeah, we won't get, but it was a positive experience overall. It sounds like overall a positive experience. Some things, you know, of course that I had to like kind of relearn after leaving that space. Like, okay, that was not good. That was, you know, what did you study there? Started with business thinking I go into business. My brother went into business and I was like, all right, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. So I'll, I'll get on this track. Um, and then 
I started to kind of get a, a pull towards vocational ministry towards like junior year, mm. but it was never pastoral. It was always more like a missions global, okay. you know, all that kind of stuff. What drew you to that? I, I tell people, honestly, the first thing that drew me towards it was reading the Bible, hmm. you know? So I think it's amazing. God speaks in so many different ways when he's calling people, Yeah, you know? Um, I think it was Wayne or Aaron that says God has like the whole creation at his disposal to disciple you. Oh, wow. You know, that's a great line. Oh, it's good. Yeah. So, I mean, he wow. just, so I'm reading through the Bible and, but to me, it was so clear that like the nations, God has this hunger for every human being, like the ends of the earth, like it was just standing out to me, like on every page. Yeah. Um, so that's where it started. And then like the seeds for that started to grow and then that just slowly moved forward to where by the time I got to senior year, that was the track. Okay. Yeah. You, and there was that thinking like you wanted to support overseas missions work or you oh, wanted to no. go overseas was, or what does that mean? I was gone. Okay. You know, and I think, I mean, if you're in the Christian community, you listen to this, everybody, everybody's listened to one or two John Piper sermons that get, sure. you, <laughs> get you fired up. And the next thing you know, yeah, missions exist because worship doesn't, Ooh, you're ready to go. Man. Oh yeah, baby. Yeah. So listen to a few of those sermons and I was ready to go. So I had, did you do some short-term trips by that point? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a sense of where you were going? Yeah. No, I had a team. I had the place wow. I had, and that's what brought me out here. Yeah. That's what brought me out to Arizona is like the team, the place thinking, okay, this is where I'm going to go. So I'm going to do. You and know, where were you going to go? So it was Morocco. Okay. Yeah. Plan to go to Morocco, do like the traditional church planning track evangelism. You know, Morocco is 99.9% Muslim. So it's like kind of, you know, trying to reach the unreached, that sort of vision. So yeah, we were, we were excited to go, ready to go, ready to start raising support. And okay. this was Redemption Church was a, uh, a stepping stone. Okay. It's never like, it was so never the, planned to be. Like this was end. around what time? What year? Uh, I've been out here around 10 years now, 11 okay. years. So this was, this is when Tyler was telling me great things, quote unquote, were happening. Okay. You know, yeah. They probably <laughs> at that time, like, Tyler things, Johnson but. was helping lead redemption, but also pretty involved with kind of the missions oh, totally. stuff at Redemption Gilbert, which was, was focused on Morocco. And it was East Valley Bible Church. It wasn't redemption. It was East Valley okay, Bible so Church. So it was pre-redemption. Yeah. So it was pre, so there was like the seeds. I mean, okay. I com came to fi find out later, but I was an intern. I mean, yeah. So. I mean, but all that stuff was there. So all like the groundwork of all the merging and Redemption Church becoming something. But at the time he was like, I forget it, city engagement or yeah. something. Uh -huh. Tom was still leading. Tom Schrader was still leading. And uh, I came out just to try to get involved in the church for a few years and then be sent out by Redemption Gilbert to go to Morocco. Because we had people in Morocco and that was right. the plan. And here you are, not in Morocco. Not in Morocco, man. So what happened? <laughs> That's right. So I think uh, we, so there's a few things that converge. The vision in Morocco started to move towards what I thought was a healthier vision of we need to actually have like a legitimate business that's like, mm. like a for-profit business that gives us a legitimate identity, establishes us in the country, is a blessing to the community. All the things now that we would say are like good, right, and true with missions or with like what we want of our people. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like, hey, this business can be a blessing to people. It can really like benefit the community and we got to start something that's great. And the more we got down that road and I was with the team and we're starting this business, I'm like, I just have no desire right now to start a business. Hmm. Like, I, like, I'm not, a, I don't want to start a business. Like, and, and it feels like the key word in that that you said was legitimate. Yes. Yeah. So it was like, they're trying to start a, not like a, Hey, we're going to, but really we're going to plant church. Like, no, like we need to devote ourselves to starting this yeah. business. Yeah. A mutual friend of ours calls it, you know, a lot, what a lot of missions folks do is tent faking. Yes. You know, in, totally. in, you know, there's Paul who's doing tent making. He's legitimately making tents using totally. the money from that to support his ministry. Tent faking is more like I say I have a business, 
but it's not really no. operating in any kind of money-making way. It's not supporting anything. It's kind of just given me access to be here. Totally. Cause you know, I mean, a place like Morocco, you can't go, I can't go with a missionary visa to be there. So you're trying to think of ways to go there with good, uh, motives, but like the ends don't justify the means. So as you so, became more convinced, like this needs to actually be a real business. So it's both. You started thinking, okay, well then I better have some real passion for business. No doubt. If it's going to be a real one. That is totally. A, and you like, went, eh, don't see it there. Yep. And then I'm with Tyler Johnson at the time, Jim Mullins, who's now the lead pastor at Redemption Tempe. And they're both giving me like a helping me just kind of understand what God's called me to do and giving me a new vision of mission. So there's all these things that are kind of converging to where, like, I think what's rising to the surface is like making disciples, church, you know, church leadership, but still like this hunger for the margins and the least reached and like ends of the earth, but like just like more church, church leadership. And I think what really rose to the surface is I was in an environment where I really was starting to look and I hadn't had this for, I mean, since I went to Liberty University and I'm in college and I didn't have like Christian, and it's sad to say, but there wasn't like pastoral leaders that I was like, man, I want to be like you. Hmm. <laughs> or like, I yeah. could see myself being you and that would be a good thing. Like the mm -hmm. way you're leading your family, like okay. your family's really healthy. Like everybody's like doing well and like mm. your wife loves you and you get <laughs> you know, like simple things. That sure. like, it's a lot of like, you know, there just wasn't a was lot. Was it that you hadn't been exposed to many pastors really other than your own family? Yeah. Or was it like you, what you'd been exposed to, you didn't want to emulate? I was probably what I was supposed to, I didn't want to emulate. Okay. So I got out here and there was like a, maybe a, oh wow, I could, I, 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 I could emulate that. Like, that's mm. good. Like yeah. a lot of good visions of what that could, of what that could look like. Were you Which, married at that point? We were just getting, yeah, I think at that point, yeah. So married either like a year or engaged. Okay. Yeah, maybe married a year at that point okay. in time. And, and your wife's name is? Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, and Rachel never wanted to marry a pastor. That was Did she one. want to marry a missionary? Oh, yeah, she was fine. Okay. Yeah, she grew yeah. <laughs> she wanted to marry a missionary. Because she grew up in South Africa, spent eight years there, wanted to go back. So we were headed back to Africa. She's like, all right, beautiful. Let's get back there, do whatever, you know, you yeah. do your thing, and I'll be in Africa, and this is great. I do not want to marry a pastor. And I said, well, God bless you. I don't want to be one. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So I don't want to be one. You don't want to marry one. We're in. Perfect. It's a perfect union. Yeah. So. Wah, wah. <laughs> lo and behold, here I am trying to process what they're like, I think. So you're seeing, if I'm just saying. Pastoral work. Yeah. So you're seeing the business interest decline. Yes. You're seeing some pastors. You go, oh, I, I could actually maybe want to emulate that yeah. life. Yes. Um, and that was stoking in you more desire to be a pastor or did the opportunity come before the desire? Um, I think the desire, no, the desire came because there was like a very, I'm, I'll share the conversation in a second, but no, the desire came to where like, I don't think it was clear because it's become more clear over the years, which is why like we just talked about my title shift, like, okay, what does that look like? The pastoral work that God's actually leading you into. But there was definitely like a sense of like church leadership, pastoring, eldering, apostolic type pioneering stuff, like all that stuff in, involved in the local church that was, was exciting to me where like marketplace leadership, Hey, let's run a business. I was like, ah, I don't think that God's moving me in that direction or it didn't excite me. Let's put it that way. How did that square with that? Like, Hey, I'm reading the Bible and everywhere in the Bible, people are going, it's the nations. And like, yeah, how did, I mean, well, what that, about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it, it came down to the uniqueness of the environment where I was working. So I was an intern when I first came out here, planning to go to Morocco, 
Jim Mullins was just hired on as the pastor of Community and Global Initiatives. Um, and he was coming up with these wild concepts of like <laughs> trying to like be a blessing to Somali refugees downtown and right. like do all these city tours where we're like going to the margins and like God's bringing us the nations and they're in our cities and like all these Iraqi refugees need people to serve them and love them and walk alongside of them in life. And like the nations in the least reach are right here and nobody's engaging them. So all that stuff was there. I'm like, Oh wow. I can, is this like a both and yeah, I, I could have, I could have both. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Probably did some peace feasts. Peace feast. I remember the peace feast. You didn't start those, right? Jim started those. Jim started the peace feast concept. That's right. Yeah. So for those that don't know what a peace feast is, what what were those back in the day? Peace feast. I mean, everybody knows like the restaurant in the strip mall that may be struggling, looks phenomenal. You might be a little leery of eating in it, but me and Jim, that was like our spots, you know? So we would go in this, especially ethnically ethnic restaurants owned by international. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So they end up being ethnic restaurants that are phenomenal food. The restaurant owners are great. A lot of times they're Muslim or a different religion. So we would hang out in those restaurants, bless them by giving them service, enjoy the great food. And then Jim had this concept of, you know, maybe we could make peace between Muslims and Christians just by being like a blessing to these restaurants. We'll gather together 30 folks, just have this huge gathering of folks that'll give a great tip, you know, give Yelp reviews or whatever that say this restaurant's incredible, try to help the business go forward, you know, and then it's a huge blessing to them that we're there. People are exposed to it and say, this food's great. I'm no longer, you know leery of coming in here and now I'll come in here sure. and the restaurant owners like have a good perception of, Oh, Christians are here like to care for us yeah, and bless us, you That's know, it's cool. a peace feast. So you started getting more exposed to just lots of opportunity in the city to connect with the nations and yeah. all sorts of people. Absolutely. Um, and then how did you end up coming on, uh, coming on staff with redemption? So I, uh, I guess it was, so we just got married. We want to have kids. I'm working at a rock climbing gym. So rock climbing is a passion. It has been for years. I'm working at a rock climbing gym making minimum wage. And I'm like, all right, I got to like think about family. And cause my wife wanted to like take her kids, stay at home. So, you know, there's some significant, like, I'll be a pastor. That's where the money is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, something, I mean, Hey, Hey, something, something better than what I was, what I was getting at the time. So I remember I talked to Tyler and said, Hey, is there any possibility of like a, uh, janitorial position, anything like I, like a steady job. I get like a paycheck, a salary benefits, you know, yeah. simple things. Sure. You know, I'm like, can I get this? And then the response was, well, why don't you take Jim's job? Okay. And I was like, Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting Did Jim that. know that you were going to take his job. <laughs> you know, yeah. Jim and Tyler had been talking for a while. That was back when Ricardo Stewart was just starting Redemption Tempe. And he was like, the one thing I think I need more than anything else right now. I think this is Ricardo's exact words is Jim to be with me, like launching this. So Jim wanted to be there with Ricardo launching Redemption Tempe. So he wanted to transition. Transition from kind of that community global stuff central that he was community. doing for all the Redemption congregations. Absolutely. Transition from central community and global initiatives for all congregations to just being at Redemption Tempe, which kind of opened the door. I didn't know any of those conversations were happening. Yeah. You know, uh, but that's pretty great timing. Yeah. So that's cool. where, you know, you that's see awesome. God confirming things and opening up the door for that. And it was great. Yeah. Wow. So tell me about the, like the early days of that role. What kind of stuff were you doing? Yeah. I think the early days of the role was trying to shift the vision of missions a little bit. So uh, there are certain convictions that we had. You mentioned one of them about like, how are we going to be a blessing to the nations? What does that look like to be faithful among those that have never heard the gospel? How do we do that with transparency, boldness, honesty, not like you use the word tent faking, but 
you know, how do we go to the nations through our vocation? So that's like when like, we're starting to realize, wow, like God's created all these beautiful vocations and we're just not tapping into the resources that God's put into our congregations. Yeah. You know, we've all these like people with these incredible jobs that like, they don't see the value in it, but God's made it beautiful and they don't see how this could be a massive blessing to the nations. So a lot of it was trying to like draw those threads together, try to give a different vision of like ministering to the unreached and nations that don't know Jesus, but then also like healthy community development. Like what does it look like to go to places of poverty you know, and that's normally when you even mention the word Africa, I think the image that comes to people's mind, normally it's not North Africa, which is way more like Arab, like Morocco, Egypt, Algeria, you know, normally you're thinking of like a small African village, you know, where sure. there's like poverty and orphans and things like that, you know, so how do we actually go into spaces where there is poverty, where there is the weak and the poor and actually be a real blessing, come alongside of local leaders, actually do like sustainable beautiful community development. And I feel like there was a kind of a wave that was starting to like surge into the evangelical church, like where everybody started to see, wow, like the way we've done, this has not worked. Yeah. Kind of that when helping hurts. I remember that book coming out probably around that time. Totally. So yeah, when helping hurts was a huge impact on a lot of churches. It was a huge impact on us, you know, and a huge foundation for that was like relationship is like, I remember one of the, so I listened to, what's his name? Not Brian Fickert, but the other, uh, the other guy, I can't remember his name, but the other co-author of When Helping Hurts, he was giving a talk on community development and showed all these beautiful pictures of like uh, a well being built and like homes being built. And he says, is this good community development? You know, and he paused for a second. He says, well, I don't know. He's like, most people would say yes, because they see this like end product. But he was like, I need to tell you the whole, pro- I need to know the whole process. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and it really comes back to like, relationship and like local leader. Like he started to name all these things that normally it's like, once we have the product, like if we dig the well and it's put there, Hey, that's good community development. But he like took it back to, are we actually coming alongside of the local leaders that are there? Are we coming alongside of the local church? Is this like holistic in mind? Is it actually honoring the community and trying to lift up the beauty in the community, which is like asset based community development. And not only saying like, here's what, here's what's ugly about your community. How can we fix it? Mm. You know, so that kind of goes into like this, uh, sometimes talk about being like the white saviors, you know, coming in to sure. say, Hey, you got all these problems in your community, but we have the answers. Yeah. Let us help you fix it. Which is a bit patronizing and condescending no doubt. and all that. No doubt. Yeah. Instead of having like the mindset of, Hey, there's a lot of beauty in this community. Yeah. There's brokenness, but every community has that. And how can the beauty in this community actually be a remedy to the brokenness? And we just want to come alongside of you and not like be overbearing or tell you what you need to do in your community. And all this for me was like, <laughs> I didn't yeah. like a lot of us, a group in the church, we didn't hear that. We didn't think that way. Yeah. You know, I kind of had like the vision of like, when I think of missions, I'm going to do something for like, my whole vision is like, I'm going to do something for you. Like mm. you need, like I have something that you need yeah. and I'm going to give it to you. There's a deficiency in your community and I'm here to go do it. So wow. to come back to your question, a lot of that work and like, how do we frame that? How do we train in that? How do we give that vision to the congregations? How do we create like uh, some booklets or training tools or learning environments that we can put people in that can try to help form people with this vision? Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't your primary focus now, but as you've kind of helped kind of sharpen and refine kind of redemptions approach or philosophy related to missions, what would be some of the kind of the hallmarks of that? would you say? So we've kind of talked about one, maybe being holistic ministry. So word and deed. Yes. Um, we don't want to just build wells, nor do we just want to try to save souls. We want holistic things. Um, another would, would be, it seems like, um, 
an authentic, real identity. Totally. Right. You're not pretending to be something you're not. Would there be other kind of hallmarks of our kind yeah. of philosophy of missions? Yeah, I would say uh, spirit led's a big one. And I learned this. I mean, I could get into this when I get into the Daniel initiative, but I mean, the more I was around uh, international le- leaders, African, uh, Africa, Latin America, and Asia, I just started to like get this strong sense that prayer and God's leading was very important mm. to them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I was starting to think it should have been important to me a lot mm. more than it had been, you know? And I think sometimes we just saw opportunities like with global missions. It's like, Hey, there's a need, there's an opportunity. We can meet that need. So let's just go do it. Sure. Instead of like, okay, is God actually leading it? Is he like speaking to the people? Is he speaking to you? What is he saying? How is he guiding you? How is yeah. the Holy spirit really leading the mission? You yeah. know, if you go to the book of acts, you see like the Holy spirit is like the central figure, you know, it's not the early church. It's sure. like God leading the whole thing. So trying to give some um, energy and life to that, that I saw all over the majority world church where the majority of the world's Christians are in Latin America, Africa, and Asia, you know, but I just wasn't seeing a whole lot in the Western church. So spirit led would be another one. And then incarnational ministry, mm. which is like present relationship. Like you actually, when you're going into a community to, to partner, do anything like you actually love that community. You're with that community. Like you're walking alongside relationship, like physically present, you know, and the, what would be not incarnational ministry? Like what would that look like? Short-term mission trips. I would say short-term mission trips are a, can be a huge asset to the local community. If people realize what, why they're going, if people realize they're going primarily for them to be formed and for their discipleship and they allow, but they realize we're not going to accomplish a whole lot here because who's really accomplishing something are the incarnational leaders that are present in that community sure. getting the work done, yep. you know, and I'm just going to serve them, prop up their work in the local church, however possible, but really it's going to be a lot of work on them. It's going to be very taxing for them, but if they're willing to do it for our benefit to serve us and yep. to help us, then that's a beautiful thing, okay. you know, but I think a lot of people can think, oh, okay, this is going to be like this huge impact that we're going to have this, yeah, sure. you know, huge goal. And I don't want to take, cause short-term mission trips done well can be a huge gift. However, that's not in, like incarnational is like, to me, I'll say it's a, uh, it's like saying you want to get married to somebody and then like you just drop in like two weeks every year. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that, sure. people, nobody would be down for that. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's, that's not a real, like, that's not a real relationship. That's not how this yeah, works. Jesus, I mean, incarnational obviously comes from the incarnation. Totally. Right. Jesus comes and he comes all the way, right. He <laughs> moves he all the way in. He you moves know? all the way in. Yeah. He's yeah dwelling with us, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Incarnation. And so, um, you know, at this point, just to kind of summarize, just so people kind of understand each congregation really is kind of spearheading their own community global initiatives and efforts. Uh, that's something that you'll provide coaching on and you'll provide encouragement and advice and totally uh, try to help do some trainings related to kind of our overall philosophy, but you're not like the missions pastor, right? You're not, uh, sometimes people want to treat you like that, right? No There's doubt. a lot of people who would like money, uh, who would like to meet with you. Um, money. Let's, let's set the record straight. How much money do you have available to give away to people for missions? Zero dollars. Oh, okay. So <laughs> get that off of your calendar. Yes. Um, but you still do have some influence with our leaders and yeah. really help make us better. And, um, you know, the ways that the things you've learned have, have done a lot there. So, um, so all this kind of talk of incarnational takes me sort of the next place I want to go is, as you're kind of formulating that philosophy, one of the things I've appreciated about you is it didn't just remain kind of a philosophy, 
but you actually started to maybe not even started, but continued to embody it. Right. Yes. And so you weren't just kind of thinking about mission, but you were trying to do mission and live out mission here locally. Um, yes. And that took place in a number of different ways, right? A lot of it has kind of do with building relationships with international uh, people through the different things that we've already talked about. A lot is related to Muslims. Yep. Um, some in particular is really the LGBTQ community. So I, I want to kind of talk about all of those because I think those are all pretty interesting. It. So let's start with the LGBTQ uh, situation or dynamic or relationships. Yep. Yep. Um, you really made some significant efforts to try to connect um, in a, you know, absolutely convicted by the scriptures way, but also totally trying to love and incarnate the love of Christ to people. Tell us, tell us some of that story. Yeah. So I think to, to give you what I was trying to do, I think I'll, I'll talk briefly. I can go back to it, but when we try to love Muslims, I think one of the things that we're always trying to talk about is like uh, convicted civility or like grace and truth. Like how do we hold to the convictions we have as believers, not being like uh, watered down on those. Um, we want to hold to those, but at the same time, we're like, trying to partner for the common good in the community, realizing that there still is, because people are created in God's image, like there's still like fragments of good and ability to partner. It's not as if like since sin has entered the world, like everything is just like thrown away. So I think for our church, that, and that kind of came out of like a theological, I don't want to say shift, but just like awakening for a lot of us of just like the beauty of creation, what creation means for our missions work, like how we engage because of culture and creation. So that was very formative for me. So it allowed me to go into communities and say, there's a lot of beauty, as I was saying with like community development, a ton of beauty here, a ton of good. I can prop up in the Muslim community as I look about your families, as I look at what you're doing in your mosque and all these things that we can partner for what you're doing in the community and we can partner together, but there's still a conviction that like every single human needs to submit to the authority of Jesus. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. like apart from Jesus, there's no, no salvation. So like, how do we do that faithfully and well? And so we took that. So I give that and I took that and said, okay, I think there's a inroad here for how we could partner with the LGBTQ community okay. you know, of like this convicted civility so, um, so already I know there's some people listening going, you just said a word that made me nervous. What word? You just said partner. Ooh. Yeah. Right. We could partner with, with the LGBTQ community. I mean, I want to reach them. Yes. Yes. I want to influence them. I want to help them. I want to save them. Partner with them. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can imagine a lot of people going like, what, what could we partner on? Yeah. Like I can't imagine anything we could partner on. Yeah. And, and I think most people, they don't think about how much they partner with people that don't follow Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis in their jobs and whatever it is. But for some reason, like when you get to Christian ministry, it's like all of a sudden you step into the sacred and secular divide world where it's like, there's a very clean line that we like to draw between like what's good and what's bad. And there's no like common good areas. There's no like, man, this is just like being on mission for Jesus is met is messy. So like Leslie Newbigin talks about like missionary encounters mm -hmm. where you're trying to like encounter culture with the gospel, but also like being faithful and embodying that culture, Yeah, you know? So what does that look like when you're trying to engage and partner, but also like be uh, convicted and speak boldly for Jesus? I say a lot of times it gets really messy. And I'd say if you have kids that don't follow Jesus, or if you have kids that maybe are part of the LGBTQ community or whatever, I mean, you know, this on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, like, cause yeah. you're still in their lives. I mean, a lot of times it's like we have family and friends that are in our lives. They don't follow Jesus. And we 
partner with them on activities in the community or we come alongside of them. But at the same time, there's always this longing and there's mm -hmm. always like the conversations that we know God's leading us to have, yeah. you know? So well, it just messy. strikes me too, is like, you know, I'm imagining, uh, and you, I want to hear more of actually yeah, yeah. the story and what happened, but imagining like you're trying to influence people from in the LGBTQ community, not just one off, but like as, as maybe more of a group or more as a whole. And uh, you're not going to show up and go, Hey, I'd like to influence you. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you're probably going to have to partner together in something in order to come alongside each other, to have even a context for influence to happen and for relationship and for learning and for all that sort of stuff. Totally. No. And that's where I, let me give you an So the most prominent LGBTQ organization in the Valley, I would say is not pride, not Phoenix pride. I've tried to, I can give some stories of trying to partner with them, but it's an organization called one in 10 that started off with one in 10. We're really, I mean, they stuck with the name, but they even said this, that it's more probably like a one in 25, something like that. Kids maybe struggle with their sexual identity, okay. you know? So they go out there. That's, that's, so the name of the organization is one in 10. They, that's what they're based on. And yep. And okay. they're trying to come alongside of LGBTQ youth because the suicide, especially among kids that are struggling with their gender identity, not just their sexuality. Am I gay? Am I straight? But their uh, gender, okay. the suicide rates among those kids are just like astronomical, yeah. you know? Um, ending up on the streets, ending up in homelessness, suicide. So they were going after those issues, but I mean, in a totally affirming way, you know, like this is who you they are. were. Oh, they were. Yeah. 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 So they were, they're not saying anyone should resist those identities oh, or resist those behaviors, no, but no, no, totally no, no, embrace no. them. Totally. Embrace but actually them. the path to freedom and probably to happiness and not suicide is going to be to live out who you really are deep down kind of thing. 100%, 100%. Yeah. But I, so I was scanning their website, sitting with their leaders and thinking, okay, is there any way for partnership? <laughs> is there any way for partnership here? What could we do together? And one of the things that I was like, okay, they are going after trying to get kids off of the streets. Kids okay. were living on the streets and they were trying to give them a home. That, that simple, you know? And then yes, there's training that comes afterwards. Yes. There's these things that we said, not, nah, we can't partnership there. We don't have partnership there. We can't do this, yeah. but is well, it Well, maybe possible? we should just be clear here about yeah. where Redemption Church stands on these issues, right? Yeah, we are ahead, not, please. we are not affirming of yeah. homosexuality. Uh, we believe that there's a reality that some people experience same sex attraction, which is different than embracing a homosexual identity or express embracing a transgender identity. We do believe that God made man and woman, uh, from birth, uh, different, um, yep. and complementary. Yes. And that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And that that's really the only place of appropriate sexuality is between a married man and woman. Yes. So, I mean, we're un, unwavering and unbending on that. Yes. So I can imagine you staring there going at the website going, uh, yeah. How, but, how, how's oil and water yeah. going to come a, together and so work I, on anything? I think maybe this is a glimpse of my personality. That's what I love. You know, yeah. so, oh yeah, yeah. Give well, me, tell me about that. Well, I mean, it's just like, give me the situation where it's like, this is, how can you be a faithful presence here? Like, how can you find the, the thread of common good that God has placed? Like, what are the, what are the pieces of common good that you can rally behind that God has placed inside of this community that you know is because of the Imago Dei that's, that it's sitting in there because mm. of the whole creation. It's not just Christians that belong to God. The whole creation belongs to God. So they belong to God and there's fragments and there's things in there that I can affirm and say they're beautiful. You know, although the whole creation is polluted with sin, we're polluted with sin. And you see all the different things that we can point out, like the gender affirmation, if they're struggling with their gender identity or same sex relationships. Yes, absolutely. 
but you're trying to weed through that and find the things that you can say, Hey, that's good. Let's partner together. Uh. And that's the one thing that I look for. And that's so as I'm scanning through, I said, okay, kids on the street, any congregation that we go to saying kids on the street, bad kids in homes, good, (laughs) you know? Sure. So can we partner together on that? Like, how is there ways that we can do that? Now that didn't work out. Now that partnership, like me trying to move in that direction of that partnership, but it gives you a glimpse into what I was trying to do. And why didn't it work out? Um, it didn't work out because I had to give to be vulnerable. That's one of the, you know, when we talk about, you said, what are like the tenants of how we're trying to engage the community? I never want anybody to think that like, I've tried to, uh, subversively convert them or like I had a agenda they didn't know about. So the first conversation, almost always, if I sit down with the Muslim community, I'm trying to have a partnership with, or the LGBTQ community is being very transparent about Orthodox Christian faith. And like me being a pastor, our church's conviction. So everything you just said, I'm sitting down with the board members of one in 10. And I remember this moment. Yes. This was not just to be clear. This is not like you sent them an email. They didn't reply. It didn't go anywhere. Like there was, I'm in person conversations. It, it went down the road somewhat. No, uh, no. Enough absolutely. to have some conversation. Absolutely. Because it went to board conversations, to lunches. I had multiple lunches with their executive director and their program director, you know, trying to figure out, are there ways to partner? Are there ways we can, you know, but they just keep getting like, so it's really hard because they looked at, I mean, this is the response I kept getting which if this is your framework, it's really hard. If they're seeing it like this, I wouldn't see it like this. But if you think that there's no original sin and it really comes down to like, like basic tenets of the faith that like are really hard when you're trying to engage a community that doesn't believe that I have more in common. I'll say this to people quite a bit. I have more in common with common with uh, the Imam that I'm working with from Albania than I do with the program director of one in 10 that I've talked to multiple times years past, trying to figure out a way to partner, but she's my age. She lives downtown. She's well, I mean like we have so all demographically more demographically like you. everything, but like worldview far more different because she was saying like, I was create like, this is who I am. And it's like you saying, Hey, I want to partner with you. The only problem is you're black. Like she was like, that's how I'm receiving. Just, how so, just so you know, that's how I'm receiving what you're saying. You're saying yeah. like, and I'm like, no, well, you got to understand like the whole creation is polluted. Like, so I'm trying to give like some basic yeah. Christian doctrine of God made everything good. And I'm not saying this is built up as like the main thing. That's like the bad thing in creation. It's just one of the things that's like, you know, and yeah. there's, well, they had to be super skeptical, right? Like oh, what's this guy gosh. doing? Really? Super what are you after? Skeptical. Yeah. So that's where you, I, get, I understand that undoubtedly. So you're having a ton of conversations trying to unpack like how we could partner, what we could do. But if there's not a, really it came down to, if there's not full affirmation, we can't partner. And so you said, well, I can't do that. No, so we can't, we're not going to partner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, man, I I tell you what, I I love that story for a couple of reasons. One is, um, I just think we need to celebrate more stories of failure. Yeah. When it comes to mission. I mean, I just think like if, if it always works out, I feel like those are the stories that none of us can relate to and none of us can emulate. And, yeah, but if it's yeah. like, like, like that's a spectacular failure. Oh man. And we just need more of that. Like, I think praise God for failures in the name of Jesus. So I, I love that. And then I just love too, like, um, and you just, I mean, you said a little bit ago, like, Oh yeah, this is what lights me up. This is what excites me. <laughs> and I just think like, we need that in the body of Christ, right? Not everybody's called to be that, yeah. but man, we need that. Cause I think a lot of us would sit there and go like, yeah, the church really needs to love and care about the LGBTQ community. And that's kind of it. 
but to go like, well, if we're going to do that, then we're going to have to risk some really uncomfortable conversations and some really challenging things. And how yes. are we going to be full of conviction and yet also just kind of looking for any door of opportunity and yet willing to go, well, it didn't happen, but that's okay. Yeah. So man, I, I love that. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I could, yeah, a lot of failure stories in that area. <laughs> I tried for a few years. I gave, I really gave it, I felt like a strong conviction to really pursue. So I went to talk to Phoenix pride and any organized body of like the LGBTQ community for the most part over the last five years, I, I've sat with their board of directors. I've sat with some of their, you know, their presidents or their leaders and tried to figure out other ways for us to like, you know, partner for the common good of society. Like you're doing community engagement. Can we partner together on that and hold to our convictions and say, Hey, we really disagree. Um, but we can still partner together. Yeah. And I think another one of the challenges, so she gave me the, one of the big ones, a few of the big challenges I took away that stick with me is one is what she said. Like you're pretty much denying my humanity. She saw it as like, you're telling me I'm fully created in God's image and you affirm that, but there's challenges here. But when you say like, you can't affirm my sexual identity, that is to me, like she's receiving it as an assault on her humanity. Yeah. Like you're saying I'm less than human. Sure. Like, so it's really hard for me to sit and listen to this, yeah, <laughs> Sure. you know? So that was one where I was like, okay. So there wasn't that like, Hey, everything's created good. Everything's broken. Jesus makes it all better. Yes. This is, I see that this is wrong with you, but I have things wrong with me. No, like that worldview was not yeah. in play. We made it very hard. And another one is just the collective trauma that the church has done. I remember sitting down with uh, Phoenix Pride, their whole board, they went around per person, you know, just every board member as we went around the table and shared a story of being in the church, you know, and like some story of like family in the church, like their church experience and like the trauma they've received from being rejected or being mm. hurt or being like, strange conversion therapies. There are a few of those stories, you know, sure. just like trying to pray the gay away, you know, if we just pray long enough, you know, so that had to be gut wrenching. Oh yeah. I mean, well, just to sit there and you that's where you're just, you just receive, you know, you're just receiving like, and that's where we're a collective. We're not an individual. We're not, we, we're a current collective body of believers, but we're historically <laughs> a sure. connected body of believers, Yeah, you know? So for me to just say like, Oh, well, that wasn't me. You know, I can't, I don't sure. want to like bear any of that, you know, right. I think is, uh, it was unwise, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, that's tough. And, and inappropriate. So, yeah, so it was hard, but at the same time, those are a few huge hurdles and challenges that I think were just really hard to overcome to build trust. Like yeah. as much as I tried to build some trust, yep. I think at the end of the day, there was like, this guy's shady and yeah. he's, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. So there's been a little bit more success as you've tried to build relationships, especially with Muslims. Yes. And um, I don't know that we need to go in that whole direction, but because you've kind of already outlined it as like, you're just going, hey, we're real upfront about this. Here's who we are. They're upfront about their faith convictions and what they believe. And uh, there's kind of a, just a sense on the table of like, you wish they'd become Christians and they wish you'd become Muslim and, totally. you know, but that doesn't mean you can't talk and can't uh, think together. And so that really kind of, I guess, highlights a difference that I think is key is, is um, talk about the difference between interfaith and multi-faith. Yeah. I think uh, interfaith, most of the time, it's uh, what most like mainline Protestant Christians are, are, um, are connected to. And usually it's like uh, trying to rally together on the lowest common denominator without trying to say we're 
very distinct. So normally mm. there's a lot of like, hey, we're pretty much, so it can become kind of like a universalistic talk. Like we're all kind of like all roads kind of lead to God. Yeah. You know, we're, it's like the elephant illustration. Sure. You know, we're all kind of feeling these different parts, but all of it yeah. kind of unites as a whole. Um, and you don't find many like Orthodox, evangelical, whatever word you want to give us, you know, like uh, uh, churches in yeah, this that, environment. That just makes me cringe. Yeah, no one's sitting around the table saying, okay, this feels right. Everyone's kind of like, yeah, I don't think this is a place so for that's, me. So that's interfaith. That's interfaith. Multi-faith yeah. is what we would say we're, we're okay with that. Yeah. We're going to pursue that. What's multi-faith? Multi-faith has a vision of the kingdom of God and society that allows you to kind of partner together for the common good. Once again, like looking at people created in God's image, whether they're Muslims or Jews, and seeing beauty in them, good in them. Let's partner together to care for the poor. Let's partner together to build peace between broken communities. Let's defend one another. Like when you're being assaulted in the community, mm -hmm. either like your mosque or you individually, like that's an assault on like an image bearer. Yeah. And like I can stand for you and say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're not going to talk that way. We're not going to do that. That. Um, and let's bring our people together. Let's have meals together. Let's be friends, but let's not water down our convictions. Like I want you to follow Jesus. Yeah. Like I currently co-lead with an imam and a rabbi and they know, like I would love <laughs> it. sounds like a joke. <laughs> Pastor Is there a, a priest rabbi. involved? Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Pastor, you know, rabbi. Walk yeah, sorry, anyway, you, yeah. Yeah, you guys co-lead what? So we, yeah. So I co-lead with them in the city called multi-faith neighbors network, but they know, like I, I would love, Hey, it'd be great if you would follow Jesus. They know that I've shared the gospel and articulated it very clearly. They know that, but at the same time they said, no, thank you. So then it's like, okay, well, does this relationship end or do we, right. can we work together for the common good? There's a I'll share a story that I think was, was powerful that we actually had a meal where there was 20 Christians, 20 Muslims at the mosque and had a great meal together, sitting around talking. And then I shared for five minutes on Christianity. What is the gospel? You know, so I articulated the faith, shared the gospel. And then the Imam shared for five minutes on Islam, tenets of Islam, what this means to, you know, be a follower of God. Um, and then at the end <clears throat> he says, does anybody want to convert? You can raise your hand. You know, so it's like 20 people from his mosque, 20 people from Redemption Church. And it's kind of like tongue in cheek, like joke, mm -hmm. but he's like, Does it, would anybody like to convert? Like Josh just clearly articulated the gospel. Any of my people, they'd like to convert, you know? And I, I mean, at the time, nobody's like, oh yeah, please. You know, <laughs> so nobody raised their hand, but he says, okay. He didn't know about now with every head bowed and every eye is <laughs> closed. I'd like to ask. He didn't have the music behind him, man. That's what his, he Your out. dad could have taught him some stuff, man. <laughs> Here's how you do an ultra that's call. Right. Come on. That's right. He's missing out, missing out on the, you got to play that soft music. You know, just as I am. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so nobody, yeah, obviously nobody raises their hand, but he said, okay, so nobody's converted. We clearly articulated our faith. We've shared who we are. Can we be friends? Mm. That was kind of his like, now can we be friends and can we work together in our community? And I thought that was kind of like a beautiful moment of like, we're very clear in our convictions. We stand on our convictions. This is who we are, yep. and, but let's partner together. Let's be yeah, friends. That's really cool. So you mentioned something earlier, you mentioned the Daniel initiative Yes, and uh, you kind of mentioned that in the context of, you know, being spirit led and kind of exposure to international pastors and kind of seeing how much more prayerful yeah. Yeah. and uh, spirit led they seem to be. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, tell us about the Daniel initiative. Yeah. So I think uh, kind of maybe the seeds for it started, I was in Ethiopia maybe seven years ago and I'm sitting down with a pastor who was at the time leading a network of churches that are about, I think, 300 churches, endured tremendous persecution. He was part of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and became what they call Pente, which Pentecostals. So another thing when we talk about being led by the Spirit, like uh, there's a Taiwanese theologian that would say like what the majority world church calls uh, Christian, the Western church calls Pentecostal. Huh. Meaning like if you're part of the church, like 
you're being spirit led, like filled with the spirit, like God's yeah. doing powerful things in sure. like your, your life, you know? So he became a Pente Pentecostal, this pastor and became a lead pastor that led 300 congregations. And they had like this wall. He walked me into this room in Ethiopia and they had this huge wall of orphans and widows that they'd adopted and their church had like partnered in taking care of, you know? And at the time, I think I'd been a pastor for like two years. I mean, I didn't know anything. I'm like, you know, trying to feel my way through this whole thing. You know, but you could tell, like we sit down to talk and you can tell as a pastor, I really want to learn from you. Yeah. You know, there was like this power dynamic where like he had been pre-programmed to receive from me and I had been pre-programmed to think that I had something like really important that he needed to have. Mm. And I remember thinking like, shouldn't I be asking you? <laughs> I remember the, yeah, well. I had this like spark in my head. I was like, maybe I should be asking you to teach me in this moment. But we both like, it was very like, it flowed very well that we're going to sit down and this pastor who's 20 years younger than me, who's been in ministry two years is going to teach me about wow. like how to do ministry and like can really be a benefit to like my ministry, you know? So that like what that moment stuck with me. And then I come back and I'm talking to another pastor here in Phoenix. So take this back to Phoenix. He leads an Ethiopian church in Phoenix and he's talking about a ministry that he led that they, all the elders got together. They prayed together. They fasted together. They went on top of a mountain you know, and they all received the same word. So once again, prayer, fasting, prayer, seeking the Lord. God spoke to each one of them, gave them a vision for Ethiopia. So fast forward five years, only five, six years. Now there's, uh, I think like 1500 believers in like the furthest reaches of Ethiopia that are like a completely unreached area where like kind of like Muslim nomadic people, no, like, so all their pastors, all their people are like converts, like direct from their ministry. Wow. Um, just this incredible work of God. He actually went around. So like the closest churches are like hundreds of miles away, but he went to those churches and said, hey, just so you know, like, we don't want to take any of your people. Like we're going for the lost. Yeah. And he was like, if any of those people actually come to our churches after the, if God moves and something's established here, we will tell them, Hey, you need to go back to your shepherd. Yeah. You know, so we're not coming for your people. Okay. We're going for the lost. Um, and he's sitting down just sharing the story of God's power, God's spirit, what God did, the signs and wonders. I mean, it's just like miraculous, marvelous. And I'm like, nobody knows who this guy is. <laughs> I'm like, he's here in Phoenix. He's in this unbelievable ministry. And I'm like, and I'm watching people lead church planning conferences that have planted like one church. And right. I'm like, I'm like, something, something's off here. So I started to build all these relationships with pastors in, in Phoenix that like had all these similar stories of like perseverance, they're refugees. They've just done incredible things, seen God move in incredible ways in their ministry and in their lives. I just sat down with a pastor literally yesterday who talked about walking uh, 20 days through the desert from, from Rwanda to the Congo, wow. losing a two-year-old son on the journey, you know, and now he's here in Phoenix. He didn't have any connection. All his family died in Rwanda. Oh, man. You know, all his family died in Rwanda. He's here in Phoenix with his wife, and he has two kids now. One son died. His whole family pretty much died in Rwanda. But now he has a church of 150, 200 refugees that he leads faithfully. Wow. You know, and it's just, I'm like, nobody knows these pastors, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're like, like, they're well, no one in our world. Yeah. No one in our world. That's what I mean. No one in our yeah. world knows these pastors. And I'm like, what a resource they are. And their kids are, 
to the Western church in America. Wow. You know, like the power, like the deposit, that's why it's called an annual initiative, like foreigners sent to a strange land. Like they're picked up a lot of these refugees or whatever it is, education school brings all of these people to our nation, you know, and they're the Daniels that like come into this environment, but because they're from a different environment, they can see like the, it stands out to them so clearly, like American idolatry, like where the holes are, like once they just, I mean, it's like, sure. so pal, it's like us going to Ethiopia. Yeah. You know, you just can see so clearly like what's, right. you know, but at the same time they have this like rich and like beautiful gospel deposit that's been given to them, yeah. you know, but what a lot of these next generation leaders do is they find themselves assimilating into like white dominant culture or they end up like siloed into like their own ethnic space. So okay. the Daniel initiative was like kind of a collaboration. I lead it with Michelle Duarte. It's kind of a collaboration of pastors and leaders from around the world to say, what if we train the next generation of international leaders to lead multicultural churches that are gospel centered, filled with the spirit, take that deposit, but they don't just impact their own community, but they actually have a vision of discipling, impacting the whole American church. Wow. You know, so yeah, that's been a huge gift to me. And that's, I mean, just going to the prayer, it taught me how to pray. I couldn't, I was just hearing so many, and I, I mean, as I prayed, sure. I, I wasn't praying. <laughs> I, there's some prayer, you know, but I mean, it was like, you know, you're normal. Like I'm going to pray for, you know, 30 minutes in the morning max, you know, a few minutes here, I'll open a meeting in prayer, close a meeting in prayer. Hey, let me pray for you. I pray for you for two minutes. You know, so that was just like my, my normal thing. But these pastors talked about prayer in a way that I just had never experienced. And they mm. experienced God in a way that I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was something they had. Wow. You know, there was an experience of God in their lives personally and through their ministry that I was like, man, I was like, I need it. So it's probably like three years ago that, yeah, finally I, I tried to tap into it. But mm. it was, yeah, wow. a long journey to get there. That's awesome. Learning how to pray, but. Yeah. Yeah. They so, taught me. So you're, I mean, we've said you're, you're titled now as the pastor of pioneering in a way you're a bit like a, like a missionary sent out by redemption to kind of, you know, push into some of these various things and, um, get kind of on the frontline edges of, of where God's working kind of in our city and, yes. and to some degree beyond. Not everybody's called to that, right? People have lots of different callings. We're all called to participate in the mission of God. Uh, we all do that in lots of different ways. Um, but your part of the body of Christ is an important part of the body and we need to benefit from it. I'm curious from your vantage point, not knowing that not everyone should be doing all the things you're doing. Yeah. Um, but when you think about redemption as a whole, you think about the 10 congregations, you think about the possibility of more congregations in the, what would be from your vantage point, what would you hope for the people of redemption church related to mission? Yeah, I, I think that uh, maybe I'll I'll use kind of a, a, a training that I did before at the Leadership Collective. I'll kind of talk to that. So I want people to go to the margins of society believing that they're a gift, hmm. you know, and it's not just like I have something to give, but there's actually like gifts that God's deposited, you know, in the weak and the vulnerable and the, and the unseen that we desperately need. Yeah. Like we have to have them. Like, and not just like, oh, that's not, but like a, a hunger to say there's something there that I need. And that's where proximity is so important, which is kind of, it leads to friendship because until you're, there's like proximity and you experience it and you are a part of it, it's hard to believe that's true. Yeah. You know, but once you, it's like taste and see, sure. you know, like when you taste and see like God's presence in, in the communities that are forgotten or unseen, 
you know, then you're like, man, I have to have more of it, which you hope would move towards like a collaboration of Christians that the world does not understand. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. And that's where it's not just like, I think sometimes people, you, you think that it's like a, uh, monolithic comes to mind, but it's just like, you know, the one way of doing it. Oh, okay. So you're talking about a diverse church. Like it's gotta be black and white or I'm like, no, that's not what I'm just talking about. Like whether it's, uh, poor, whether it's, you know, fe females that are overlooked and underappreciated, whatever it is, like there is like the forgotten, the overlooked and underappreciated in every area yeah. of Phoenix in different in cultures world. that would be and different, different cultures people. totally but, and it changes depending yeah. upon your context your culture whatever it is yeah but like the gifts that mm. lie there and the reconciliation that needs to happen and the justice like that's where i had the opportunity to preach through nehemiah 5 and i think that's where well, the evangelical church is having a hard time now because i think they're hungering for reconciliation when we talk about racism um but i think the black community is hungry for justice and I feel like those two need to be, because if you see in Nehemiah 5, there's like this restorative justice taking place. That's mm -hmm. like this beautiful vision, if you read Nehemiah 5, of restorative justice. But I think with going, justice, reconciliation, my hope is that we see churches that reflect the kingdom of God. Yeah, You know what I mean? Where it's like strong and weak, rich and poor, black and white, whatever it is in your context, mm -hmm. that like we start to see that more at dinner tables. We start to see that more in our congregations and that starts to bleed together and become this beautiful like tapestry mm. that like the world can't explain and only, only we can explain yeah. by the power of the spirit. When your story really illustrates that, right? When you're kind of dropping into Ethiopia, it's easy to stay the expert. Yeah. And, but when you start getting shoulder to shoulder with all these international pastors in proximity, you start to go, wait a minute, I need to be the student. Yeah. I got a lot to learn here. And I think that's, I think that's really great. So uh, just to kind of, as we wrap up here, I, I'm imagining that some folks listening are going to hear this and go like, man, this is so cool. I, this is great. I'm just happy that this is going and I'm going to pray for you. There's probably gonna be other people though, who go like, man, I kind of want in on this. Yeah, yeah. Like, can I go with you to one of these multi-faith network things or yeah. like, how do I like, what? man, I'm, I'm interested. Like what, what would be a good next step for those people? Is there a way to connect with you or are there other things that you would hope that folks might do? Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest way is connecting with me sitting down. I mean, I'd love to, yeah, I, th I think uh conversation connection would be a great next step for anybody that says, man, I'd love to learn more about that. I'd love to get connected to it. Um, yeah. So Josh Prather, redemptionaz.com. I'll give it out. Great. You know? Yeah. Let's talk. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, and I just, uh, I, I love the kind of pioneering work and that inherently kicks up some dust yeah. and it creates some mess. And yet I just look at the world and go, the world's changed and the world is changing and it is happening fast. And uh, one of the things I know we want as redemption is to be a faithful witness in a changed and changing world. And that doesn't yes. necessarily mean an effective witness. We'd love to be an effective witness but we want to be faithful. And when I hear about your different stories, whether it's, you know, holding firm with the LGBT community, even as you try to love, whether it's, uh, you know, here's my five minutes to share the gospel with this group of 20 Muslims, yes. um, all that different stuff that not sometimes effective, sometimes not, but faithful. And I just think there's a lot to learn from that. And so, man, I'm so glad that you're doing this and uh, our whole church is better for it. And uh, thanks for coming by. Yeah. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. All right, well, that's it for uh, this episode of Inside Redemption. If you think there's somebody that would benefit from this, be sure to share it with them, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>